going back to our uh, introduction to accounting, I am pleased that we are finally going to be in a position to wrap things up today in this section. But there are a couple of things that we need to talk about by, by way of conclusion here that are important to us. We have discussed at length the fact that financial accounting focuses on company codes. And hopefully you understand that at this point and you realize that although company codes are contained within a client for the sake of financial accounting, everything revolves around the company code. Well, what happens if we get ourselves into a situation where we need to do financial accounting reporting or financial accounting like reporting, but it requires us to carve up our organization in a manner other than the way we have done things with our company code structure. And this is a very real world problem that a lot of organizations had. And so that necessitated SAP creating another organizational structure, another organizational data entity that allowed this uh, to be addressed. And so what they created was something called the business area. And a business area essentially allows an organization to go in and to do external reporting, to do financial accounting reporting, and to do it in a way that would allow the reporting to span across company codes. And what's particularly notable about this, and I don't know if I can illustrate this effectively with a, with a picture here, but if, if this is the client here at the top, and here's company code one, and company code two, and, and company code three, well, we well know that we can do financial accounting uh, individually for each of those entities. Well, what a business area would allow us to do, and, and this is going to be a very crude illustration here, but hopefully it, it makes sense. It would allow us to say, okay, I want to grab this part of company code one, and I want to grab this part of company code two, and I want to grab this part of company code three, and so all of the things that I have colored in purple here, those are now going to be a business area. And so I can now report in a financial accounting context on that almost as if it were a company code, although we clearly recognize it is not. This is something that is entirely optional and in fact, many organizations do not use business areas, but it is provided for those organizations that perhaps created their organizational structure based on a, a particular understanding of how they were going to be doing their financial reporting. And then a new government regulation pops up, a new kind of reporting requirement pops up, and they find that they have to go in and perhaps report on a segment of their organization. Let me just give you a totally high hypothetical example. Maybe a new law comes out that requires that all organizations report their businesses, their business activities related to the sale of hazardous materials separately from their normal reporting. And so we could go in and say, okay, these are the different parts of our organizations that deal with hazardous materials, so we can carve those out and we can create the reports that are needed here for the sake of this external requirement. 
these are typically used to differentiate uh, company structure based on product lines, based on subsidiaries. So we'll assume here that my very crude illustration is illustrating uh, a differentiation based on product lines. We've gone in and grabbed some product lines from company code one, some from company code two, and some from company code three, and we have brought them together for the sake of reporting. So it is something that can be useful to organizations. It does create a bit of a uh, hybrid for us because uh, normally we think of financial accounting totally focusing on company codes and, and that's a fine mental model for us to continue having here. But business areas give us a way to address those things where we often need to do something that is out of the norm from what we typically do. Um, business areas are company code independent. And I think my purple coloring here uh, quite clearly illustrates this. We're pulling together things from multiple company codes. So in a way, you could think of that they're independent. They're not underneath a company code. They're independent of the company codes and therefore can span across it. And it does give us the ability, therefore, to see where something that's in company code one in this segment, when it is brought into the business area, has an impact on something that's in company code three. So that's what this statement here, posting can be made to them from any company code, is related to that. We won't uh, take the time to go in and look at it here uh, for time's sake, but if we went and looked at transaction FB50, which is the transaction that allows us to put in the account numbers and designate something as a debit or credit, and you remember you could scroll all the way to the right and there were all those different fields that you could put values in. One of the fields is business areas. So you could actually have a debit or a credit associated with a business area as a way of using this to accomplish our internal company goals. Questions about anything here related to, to business areas? Yes, sir. Um, they certainly could have a relationship because cost accounting already is so inherently flexible inside your organization. I don't know that we really need, you know, you can kind of create this with your cost centers and cost centers are such that over time you can add and delete cost centers and so on. So in management accounting, it's inherently much more flexible than, than financial accounting tends to be because in financial accounting, it's just all locked into the company code. So I don't know that there's anything exactly parallel, but you could get this kind of effect through adjusting your, your cost center hierarchy. Yeah, for cost purposes, you could assign, you know, you could segment it into going to different cost centers, which is a great transition to the very next slide here, which is managerial slash cost accounting. I guess before I flip the side, though, slide, I should have checked to see if anybody had any other questions. 
All right, so managerial cost accounting, I want to mention here, but we will certainly not talk about it in, in great length here. Uh, we're really just talking about it briefly to make sure that we keep straight in our brain the fact that this is different from financial accounting. Financial accounting, debits and credits, double entry accounting, all about making sure we're keeping proper records for the various external financial disclosures that we need to make, focused on balance sheets, income statements, statements of cash flow, those kinds of things that are standardized for us in generally accepted accounting principles. Cost accounting is just totally focused on this idea of understanding our costs and allocating them throughout our organization. And so the idea here is that as we engage in various business activities, that is going to automatically be captured in our financial accounting postings. And so our cost accounting record keeping is derived from those financial accounting postings. And so the system, if we properly create our organizational structure and we properly define our cost objects, which is a term we'll get back to in a moment, then financial accounting and cost accounting both happen essentially automatically for us as we engage in business processes. And so the idea here is just we're, gonna, we're going to do things in our organization. And as we do things, we're going to incur costs. And so anytime we incur costs, we want to capture that in the context of cost accounting. Now it's worth mentioning that Financial accounting, we have to do. There, there's no way around that. The government, not only of the United States, but the government of other countries, they're going to require us to engage in financial accounting for the sake of reporting things to them. Cost accounting is totally optional. So if we were to say we don't want to do it, that's fine. Now, I don't know that you're going to find a large organization out there that would make that statement, but certainly in a smaller business, you could get away with just doing financial accounting and keeping track of cost-related things on an informal basis. But certainly in large organizations, cost accounting really is a key to understanding what's truly going on in our organization regarding how we are, are spending money. And so let's just talk very, very high level, very, very briefly here uh, about how cost accounting works. And then hopefully we'll have time at the very end of the semester, we'll come back and talk about cost accounting in more detail. Cost accounting is not really covered in your textbook. Um, it is covered in our lab exercises, but we don't have a chapter in the textbook that talks about this um, in detail. Um, and so hopefully we'll have time to come back and, and supplement this. Cost accounting focuses on cost centers. Uh, cost centers within uh, CO reporting allow us to keep track of costs based on where they were incurred. And, and there are two important things for, for us to uh, keep in mind here. One of those things are these ideas of cost centers themselves. Cost centers are organizational areas that we designate and they absorb costs. Now what does that mean? Well, let's use an ETSU example and let's pick 
one of the branches of ETSU recently renamed itself. It used to be called OIT, the Office of Information Technology. They have recently renamed themselves to be ITS, Information Technology Services, I think is what the S stands for. Well, they are a, a cost center. They spend a fair amount of money every year. And they spend that buying computers, they spend that uh, with help desks, they spend that supporting students, they spend that supporting faculty. They have a lot of expenses. So let's just say that over the course of a year, they have expenses totaling $10 million. And quite frankly, I don't know whether that's a high number or low number from reality, but we'll just go with it here because it's a nice round, round number for us. So the idea here is anytime there's any kind of transaction that happens here at the university that relates to information technology, this cost center is going to accumulate those expenses. It's going to accumulate those costs, which is why we say it absorbs costs. And I always, in my mind, for whatever reason, picture a sponge. And so any kind of cost that gets absorbed or gets created here at ETSU that relates to information technology, it's going to be absorbed by this particular cost center. Now, a cost center is considered to be master data. So notice right here, this is kind of interesting. Cost centers are not organizational data. They are master data. And so um, would be very easy to think that cost centers are organizational data, but, but they are not. And it tends to be because, I, I, I'm speculating about this, but cost centers are flexible. Um, we can create new cost centers, we can delete unneeded cost centers, and so whereas organizational data tends to be very, very stable over an extended period of time, our cost centers could change on an annual basis if we are, are so inclined. The key here, though, is anytime we incur an expense or anytime we incur any kind of cost in our organization, we have to assign that to a cost center. Now, it's very important that we realize what we're saying here. We're not saying that every time money leaves our hands, it gets assigned to a cost center because we might buy an asset and so we're trading money, which is one asset, for another asset, which is you know, some kind of equipment. And so that's not a an expense. An expense would be something like depreciation, which we talked about last time, that would be an expense. We have expense related to labor, paying our employees, and other things of that sort. So the key here is that any time an expense is incurred in our organization, it gets assigned to a cost center. So that's where we got this $10 million from. Over the course of the year, the ITS area incurred $10 million worth of, of costs. Now, how does this absorption, how, how does this actually work? Well, the two key elements to understand here is, first of all, that we have these cost centers. And then second of all, we have these things that are called cost objects. You had a question about this in one of your previous homework assignments. And, and some of you gave a good answer. Some of you gave a marginal answer. And, and so I want to make sure we have an understanding of this. A cost object is a document. 
it's a document that we record costs in. So for example, we send to production a production order. And so, uh, see where I can draw this on, on my slide here, I'll just put it over here. So here's a production order. And even though we know these are electronic documents, we can illustrate it here with a physical document. And so this particular production order will be used by the system to keep track of things related to production. So maybe, for example, this is going to record the labor that was expended in this particular production run. And so maybe we expended $15,000 in labor. And maybe, in addition to that, we use supplies um, in the neighborhood of uh, $1,000. Now, these are not raw materials that went into the production. Supplies are things like um, rags we use to wipe down the machinery and uh, gloves and things that the workers put on when they did the job and then threw it away when they were finished. So this production order will accumulate all of the facts related to production including all of the costs associated with this production run. At the very end of this production run, this production order will be settled. And when it is settled, all of these costs need to find a home. They have to be settled to a cost center. Now, it may very well be that all of these costs are going to go to one cost center, or it may be that, that they get divided up. And so costs that are assigned to a cost center can be reallocated by the cost center to, to other cost centers. Now, um, I'll give you a second to, to write that down and think about it, and then I want to add a new slide here to our slide deck so I can draw on this. Last time I put some things on the whiteboard, and uh, although I thought that was fine, I realized afterwards that meant it wasn't going to be in the recording. And so um, I want to draw a picture here this time, and so let me uh, do that by way of adding uh, a new slide in here. So give me a second to, to do that. Uh, new blank slide. Okay, there we go. So now I have my own built-in whiteboard here. Okay, so, so any questions about this before we move on and let me draw my picture and illustrate what I'm about to illustrate? All right, so let's go with my ITS example. We have created here at ETSU, and realize, of course, this is totally hypothetical, a cost center called Information Technology Support. And we said that they have $10 million in expenses this year. Now, we'll, we'll talk about this in more detail later in the semester, I hope. But cost centers accumulate costs, but they do not keep them. They cannot keep them. Cost centers play a giant game of hot potato, which means that you throw costs at them and, and they get rid of them. And when I say they get rid of them, they do one of two different things. They distribute the costs or they allocate the costs. 
and we'll get into the mechanics of those later in the semester, but the idea basically is there are different ways that we could get rid of this $10 million. And so let's just say hypothetically, um, we have ITS as a cost center. So I'm just going to call it ITS-CC for ITS cost center. ITS cost center has two other cost centers, SSCC for student support cost center, and then there's another cost center out there called FSCS, which is faculty support cost center. And they say, we incurred $10 million in expenses, but most of that went to supporting students. So we're going to give you $6 million of those, and we're going to give you $4 million of those. And so now we have this uh, student support cost center, and they have to get rid of this ultimately to, uh, it's ultimately going to have to work its way down to a profit center, but we'll keep going here. Student support cost center says, okay, I'm a cost center, I, I, I can't keep this. I have to, I've got to get rid of these costs. And ultimately, cost centers have to pass their expenses off to what are called profit centers. And so we have down here graduate profit center and undergraduate profit center. And this is where the money goes for graduate school, you know, all the money graduate students pay in for tuition and all of the money that is generated from graduate school gets to go to the graduate profit center. And the graduate profit center is really happy because this year, you know, they took in $8 million and they're all really, really happy. Well, they don't get to keep all $8 million of that because the Student Support Cost Center says, well, when we look at the percentage of students that are on campus that are graduate and undergraduate, you're going to get a million dollars of this expense and you're going to get $5 million of this expense. Now, this undergraduate profit center, for example, it gets to collect the, the TAF fees, the technology access fees that all the students pay. So it collects all of this money and then it gets essentially a bill from information technology that says, hey, we did all this stuff, but we did it to help the organization as a whole. And based on our assessment of things, basically about half of that really belongs to the things related to undergraduate students, so you're on the hook to pay that bill. So what we do with cost centers is we create these hierarchical structures and we use it to pass money around like hot potatoes and we accumulate money and it gives us a way to understand costs better. Now let me give you a totally different example of this. We have a variety of buildings here on campus, one of which is Nix Hall. So let's talk about Nix Hall for a second. Nix Hall gets depreciated every year. So let's assume that the depreciation for Nix Hall for this year is $1 million. It's an expense. Somebody's got to cover that expense. Well, we might have a Nix Hall cost center. And that Nix Hall cost center essentially just got a bill from our depreciation run for $1 million. And it now says, oh my, what am I going to do with this? I'm a cost center. 
I don't have a checkbook. I don't have any money. I have to give this to something that has money. And so the Nick's Hall Cost Center says, hmm, even though I'm an inanimate object, I realize that contained inside of my walls, there's the nursing department, and there's the computing department, and there's the health center, and there's ITS, and uh, is there anything else in this building? Appalachian Studies, thank you, Appalachian Studies. Okay, so now here's where this gets fun. I have five different places that I can distribute my thousand dollars to, or excuse me, my million dollars. This is kind of like going out to eat at a restaurant with five people and the bill comes at the end and now you have to decide how you're going to pay for it. And have you ever had that happen where somebody says, well, let's just, let's just, you know, there's four of us, let's just divide the bill four ways. And you're fine with that unless like you ordered a salad and everybody else ordered like lobster and steak and then you realize you're going to be subsidizing their meal. So if the Nick's Hall Cost Center said, well, why don't we just divide this equally and every one of you guys each is on the hook for $200,000? Well, somebody might look at that and say, that sounds good to me. And then other people would look at that and say, whoa, 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 that's not fair at all. I don't like that way of deciding this. So we've got to come up with a way of figuring out who's on the hook for what. Anybody have any suggestions? How could we decide a fair way to, to decide who's on the hook for what? We could go based on rooms. Now with that, there's different ways we could do it. We could do it based on number of rooms. So let's just say hypothetically, um, we look out and we see that Appalachian Study has 50 rooms and nursing has uh, 70 rooms and computing has 100 rooms and the health center has 80 rooms and ITS has 150 rooms. Well, we can now do some math here and calculate the proportion and use that to allocate this, this million dollars. And that would be perfectly fine. That would be a way to do this. Would it be the best way to do this? I don't know. What other way could I do it? Okay, so you want to do it based on supply consumption. We can do that, but we just made this a much, much, much bigger headache than, than we thought. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. We could do this based on electricity consumption, okay? Now, here's the problem. Nick's Hall has one electric meter. So who decides how much of that electricity was used by which of these departments? We could say, well, we don't know, but the problem is we only have one electric meter, so we need to put in five electric meters and hook different rooms up to different electric meters and then we could keep track of it better. But the problem to do that is now we've got to rewire the whole building. That hardly seems like a good plan. So sometimes ways that seem perfectly logical, when you get right down to it, turn out to be more expensive and more, more work than they really should be. But they did put an electric meter on Nick's Hall 
just earlier this this semester at one point they came in one weekend because apparently nix hall and a couple of other buildings here on campus all shared an electric meter and they realized that wasn't good that that wasn't good for the sake of keeping track of costs and so nix hall now has its own dedicated electric meter but it still doesn't help us when we're trying to divide this up how else could we divide this up number of employees okay so i could count the number of employees in each of these areas and then use that as a vehicle for dividing this up sounds perfectly reasonable i could do it that way what else how else could i do it revenue okay so now this gets challenging but we could if we assume that all of these areas are profit centers which may or may not be the case because I think we've already determined that ITS is not a profit center, but that's fine. We could treat them like a profit center and then they would just have to pass the cost along, which creates a fun scenario because sometimes you see where you pass something to a cost center and then it passes it to another cost center and it gets passed back to you kind of in a diluted format. We see all kinds of weird stuff like that happen. But we could do it in some way based on revenue although that might not be the best way to do it. Anybody another suggestion? Number of students, I like that. Um, but then how do, you, how do you count that for health center and for ITS? It works fine for the academic departments, but it might not work here. Here's how they really do do this, square footage. They take, they literally take the blueprints of this building and they break out the colored pencils or magic markers and they color in the regions that are occupied by these various areas and then they divide that and figure out a proportion so hypothetically if the building had a hundred thousand square feet and computing was 20,000 of those square feet, we'd be on the hook for one-fifth of the expenses of the building, okay? So we could do it based on square footage. Some places might like that, some places might not like that, but it's the way that ETSU chooses to do this. So then it gets really fun because this room we're in right now, this is a nursing classroom. They pay for this room. They have allowed us out of the, quote, graciousness of their heart to have our class meet in here, but they're on the hook for paying for this room. Now, sometimes we loan them things, and so, you know, it's part of just being a good neighbor, but that's why there's kind of these, there's these different territories in this building that are based on this calculation that relates back to this idea of, of allocating costs. And this gets very, very challenging because there's all kinds of different ways we could do this. And what's going to happen is the people in the health center are going to look at and say there are eight different ways they could do this. This one results in us getting the least amount of costs, so that's the one we want them to do. And so it turns into this big debate where some people want it done this way and some people want it done this way. But ultimately, somebody's got to decide this is how we're going to do it, like it or not. 
and that's what cost accounting a lot of it is is figuring out how we're going to have these costs then ripple through the various parts of our organization comments or questions all right so that's a five minute maybe 10 minute overview of, of cost accounting here. Just a, a couple things to uh, wrap up our discussion here. Um, at the very end of each of the sections, we always talk about reporting at, at the end. And so in the context of financial accounting, which is what we have been primarily talking about here, really there are just two kinds of reporting that we, we see our system uh, providing for us. One is I could go in and look at account information and find out you know what's the balance of a particular account and look at things in my general ledger and then also in my sub ledger as I would have occasion to want to find out account balances the other kind of reporting that we see are financial statements I could look at a balance sheet I could look at an income statement I could look at a statement of cash flows and that's another kind of report that we see in in financial accounting now the idea here is that as we are looking at different account information and I want to show you this in a second in a moment what it is very important for us is to have what is called traceability because I always want to even when I'm looking at something that's summarized I want to be able to trace it back to where that particular detail can be found in the system and so as far as displaying account information I want to be able to go in and for every line item that I see that's a summary line item I want to be able to drill down and see the details. So let's look at that for a second here. And I'm going to go to a transaction. I'm just not going to navigate to it. I'll just type in the transaction code FAGLB03. Allows me to put in an account number, a company code, and a fiscal year. And so what I'm going to do is I am going to look up an account here. And uh, first thing I have to do is... Uh, Oh, what did I do here? Oh, hang on, let me do this again. All right, I know my chart of accounts. I'm going to do this for my company code. And so my chart of accounts is this one right here. And so here's my list of accounts. We're going to do this for the bank account because that's a really good one for us to see because there are a lot of, lot of transactions there. And I'm going to do this for my company code. So this is US02. And we're going to do it for this fiscal year because that's the only year in which this company has actually existed. All right. So I execute this. And now notice, well, what do we see here? We see this grid down here. And it has numbers. 1 through 13. What do you think those are? What? It's cut off. You can't see with it being cut off? Thank you for letting me know. This is annoying because it looks fine on that monitor, but apparently what we're seeing over there is different. Okay, can you see it now? Okay, let's try again. Other things haven't been cut off right. You guys haven't only been able to see like half the things I've been drawing, right? Have you? 
Okay. Well, let me know if that ever happens again because I don't turn around and look at the screen that much. All right. So this, 13 lines, 1 through 13. What's that? What? Days. Not days. Transactions. Not transactions. Months. Why? Okay, so the 1 is January, the 2 is February, and the 13 is like... Cuberdary? I mean, I mean, what's what's the thirteen doing there? Is that the special period set up? That's the special period, absolutely so. And so, what do we use that for? You're on the right pathway, but why do we have the thirteenth period, Mr. Accounting? Why do we have the thirteenth period? for year-end closing activities. That's where we put all of our year-end closing activities is in that 13th month, okay? Now, suppose we wanted to close quarterly. We would have more than 13 there. We would have one, a quarterly would be one, two, three, and then we'd have a special month. And then we'd have four, five, six, and a special month, and then seven, eight, nine, and a special month, and then 10, 11, and 12, and then a special month for actual year end closing. So that number right there is based on the fact that for our company code, we said our fiscal year runs January through December, and we close after December. So every one of these rows right here is activity that fell in that particular month. And you can see that because I worked ahead on the lab exercises, I had a lot of things that impacted my cash account in the month of August, but I only had uh, what I'm guessing is one really small transaction here in September or a lot of really, really tiny transactions because uh, in September, I only have a dollar's worth of debit going on in this account that affected my, my balance. So you'll notice here, my total worked out to 55960 which that's the amount of cash that I have in my bank account. But the idea is at one point I had 63,510 and then 7,550 of it left my hands, leaving me with the balance that, that we see here. So this is highly summarized. Suppose you look at that and say, man, What's that oddball transaction? Or guessing it's just one transaction there in September. Well, to find out, let's just double click on it. Okay? This is what I'm talking about when I say everything is traceable. In September, I had a whopping one document. And it's this document right here, document number one and a whole bunch of zeros ending in two. And the document type is SA, and let's see, now I can't hit F4 here to find out what that is, but what I can do is I can highlight this document and go up here and display the document, and now I have more information about this here, where here's a dollar. Um, it's still kind of hard to see what's going on here, but I can call up my document overview. And I apparently did this to test the system in one way because the transaction is I, I sold $1 worth of common stock and put a dollar in my bank account is, is what happened here. So the point is I started with 
a very, very summarized presentation, and I can continue drilling down until I get to the individual transaction. Now, that was nice to do in September because I only had one transaction. If I double-click on August, well, I don't have a lot of transactions here, but I can see there were two documents here in August that touched my cash account, and so I could pick one of these, and I could look at it and drill down and see the actual postings associated with it. And so it gives me, gives me traceability here in all of my reporting. So for any account, and I don't know if there's another account that we could pick here that would be um, one that has a few more transactions for us to look at here, because um, we have a lot of accounts. Let's look at, um, I don't know, maybe inventory. Oh, that's inventory direct post. We're not going to have anything in that for me yet. Uh, what's some other stuff we've done here? See if we've got anything in um, supplies expense. Execute. Okay, so my supplies expense, here we see there was a $500 debit to this in August. Double click on it. There's the document. Um, select the document choose display. Here's the basic information. Notice this. This particular item is associated with a cost center. And so uh, that's the NAAD cost center, which I don't know what that is. NAAD is uh, this guy right here at the top. This is administrative costs, is the cost center that got this particular item. And here's the debits and credits. I just took $500 out of my bank account and uh, put it towards supplies expense. So anytime there is a transaction that occurs, it's going to hit a general ledger account. And so at any given point in time, I can go in and look at the general ledger, and I can always drill all the way back to individual line items. And that's a key element in demonstrating our integrity of financial accounting record keeping. So that's what I say financial accounting reporting, first of all, is focused on displaying account information and then financial statements. Now, I get to decide how I want my company financial statements to look. And what I mean by that is, and I'll, I'll put this on the whiteboard. I could decide that um, I want to see on my, um, in my overhead section, okay? So let's, let's think in terms of our income statement and thinking about the overhead section at the bottom. I might want to see a line item that says uh, manufacturing overhead. Now I'm abbreviating here. And I could say, okay, that line item, manufacturing overhead, is tied to general ledger account 4567 and 4592 and 5111. And so when it renders for me an income statement, it will go out to these general ledger accounts add those values together and put it here on the line item for manufacturing overhead. And I might decide that on my income statement for overhead, I want this broken down 
into 10 different line items. And so I decide which accounts map to which line items and what I want it to be called. Which is why I have to actually go in and configure my financial statement. Because if I wanted to, I could just have one line item that says overhead and have 50 different accounts that I'll feed into that, into that item. So I can make this as fine-grained or as uh, whatever the opposite of that is, broad, as I want to. So that's this idea of having different financial statement versions. I could go in and I could have a highly detailed financial statement, maybe that I create for the sake of circulating uh, to certain key people in my organization. But then I have a different version, not that the numbers are going to be that different, but the way it breaks things up might be a little bit different that I use for the sake of maybe putting in my annual report. In financial accounting, we have this kind of ability with balance sheets, income statements, and statements of cash flow. So one of the things that we would do is go in and configure our balance sheet. And the balance sheet is already going to know what things are assets and what things are liabilities, but we have to decide on groupings and other things. And, and some of that relates to items that we will probably talk about a little bit later as we continue our discussion here. So financial accounting reporting really is either focused on what we just saw with the drilling down, drilling down until we get to the actual FI document or the creation of, of these financial statements. And we previously made this observation. These financial statements are really important to us because we do have to publish these things. Uh, if we're a publicly traded organization, that is, and we have to file them with agencies like the IRS, the SEC, and depending upon what it is that we do, potentially other organizations as well. Um, we also pick up requirements like Sarbanes-Oxley, for example, typically requires that our financial statements be certified by our CEO and CFO. And so, you know, we've got to make sure this stuff is accurate or somebody could be going to jail if we're, if we're in any way not doing what it is that, that we're supposed to be doing. So this last slide here just illustrates what I showed you in live. I showed you that we could go in and we could look at an account and we could see, okay, here in the month of September, there's this particular credit that's sitting out there and I double click on that and I see all the individual documents that resulted in that $19,000 calculation. And I could pick one of them and say, hey, let me see more about this one right here. I double click on it and I see the actual debits and credits, the original financial accounting document. So if you notice what we did is we, we basically took what originally started out as a financial accounting document, an FI document, and were able to trace back through it from the general ledger. And that is, well, I'll just show you this. There is another uh, reporting tool that we have that relates to something we talked about. There's this special screen called an Asset Explorer 
that we only have for assets and basically allows us to look at an asset and see, okay, this is how it has been depreciated over time and this is how it will continue to be depreciated over time. So it's kind of this special report that we have just for assets that allows us to see like this is when we bought the asset, this is the value at the end of its useful life and all of those things we talked about before. We have the asset explorer that allows us to look at that. You guys won't see that this semester because we don't actually configure any assets but you're not missing anything really exciting or, or really critical here. And that's the end of our discussion on financial accounting. Yeah. Okay. Um, questions? Yes. Okay. You get to pick. You know, you, part of what makes cost accounting so difficult is on a high level, it's all about what we talked about, figuring out how to distribute or allocate costs. But where it gets tough is figuring out how we're going to do that and what we want the formulas to look like and even being able to simulate, okay, if we do it this way, this is what it's going to look like. If we do it this way, this is what it's going to look like. And you have an incredible amount of control there. And I'm familiar with some of the options, but you would have to some, talk to someone who was a professional cost accountant working with SAP to go through all the myriad of choices you have there, because there's a lot of them. Oh, yeah. I mean, and stuff even more esoteric than that. Other questions? Yes. 